Welcome to Defining Us, America's classroom where education is a revolution of the heart and mind. I'm Stacey DeWitt, executive producer of the Defining Us documentary series and digital platform. Educo is the Latin word for educate. It means to bring out and develop from within. And teachers and students across our country are doing just that. They are leading a movement focused on helping individuals and communities change from within in order to improve the most important social issues of our times, race, gender, sexuality, poverty, religious difference, and much more. Our mission is to help us all get educated on these issues. We will hear from the leading voices in education, listen to the students that are defining the next generation, and learn how we can better understand ourselves and each other to create our own revolution of the heart and mind. We are thrilled today to have Tara Tadlock, uh, founder of Normal with Autism, on the podcast and are looking forward to a great uh, session to discuss some of the work that she's doing and the relevancy of that in these important times that we're all dealing with. So welcome, Tara. It's great to have you. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you today. So Tara, your program website is normalwithautism.com. And the name, I think, is what struck me so much when I first met you about, oh, I don't know, almost two years ago. Um, <laughs> Tara's shaking her head um, and smiling, <laughs> and I am as well. Um, but what an important name in these interesting and changing times that we're living in. You know, one of my favorite quotes is words make worlds. And so how we title things and how we label things and what we call things, people often sort of shrug off, but really, really sets a tone for what's in our minds and hearts. And so why don't we get started by you telling us a little bit about your story and how you came up with that name. Sure. Um, I completely agree with the uh, words make worlds. And I tend to fall on the creative side of things. Part of how I came up with that name really goes back to the beginning of the journey with my youngest son, who will shortly be 10 years old, which is blowing my mind. Um, and it actually came about from a conversation with my oldest son who has just become an adult this year also, which, so my mind's just kind of been blown all over the place these last couple of years. But it, it's interesting if you, probably if you talk to other families with disabled loved ones, they will talk to you about like the before time and the after time. And we, we tend to mark time in like before a diagnosis and after a diagnosis. So, uh, my youngest son, Finn, was diagnosed with epilepsy at first um, back in 2013 when he was only about a year and a half old. And over the next year, going through different types of therapies that had been recommended by the professionals that we worked with, we figured out something else was going on besides just the seizures. And through that journey, it took us about a year, we came to a pretty severe autism diagnosis. So he 
he has a lot of support needs is what we like to say um, instead of using like higher low functioning and it was shortly after that autism diagnosis that i was discussing i remember very clearly i was sitting in the car after i picked up my oldest from school and we were we were talking and i was trying to explain to him what what did it mean that your brother has autism? What does it, what does it mean that your brother's autistic, that we have that diagnosis? And we were kind of going back and forth. He would ask questions because he's a very curious, inquisitive kid, still is as an adult. And he basically, after going through like all the different questions that an eight, nine-year-old could come up with at the time, he settled on, oh, so my brother he's like normal with autism. And I said, yeah, yeah. And I don't think at the time either of us really knew, like if you asked either of us what that meant about eight years ago, we couldn't really tell you. But when he said it, he and I were both like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so that's, that's how we came up with the name. So I love that story uh, because, you know, from the mouths of babes, right? And, exactly. um, and the other phrase that comes to mind is that the children will lead us. And I think we are in times right now where the future generation, your son's generation, those that are just coming into their own adulthood, yeah. are really seeing things and having a lens on things. It's a very, very different, um, and it allows us to sort of break open um, and transform as a society. So you said you didn't know what that meant back then. What does it mean to you now? When I sit down and, and really kind of put some thought behind it, I feel that Finn, my youngest, being normal with autism means that he is his is full complete self he's a whole kid he doesn't need to be puzzled out pieces aren't missing things aren't broken he doesn't need to be fixed or cured he is who he is and it means for me that i have to that my job as his mom his caregiver that i have to help the world speak his language instead of trying to push him into the world, I want, I want to teach the world his language, first and foremost. And do you think you're making progress with that at this point, Tara? Do you see that happening in the world around you? I hope so. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, especially over 2020 and then for most of this year in 2021, especially with all the racial justice movements that we saw around the, the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, with all of kind of the, I don't know what other words to use besides saying like waking up from everybody, um, seeing all of the injustice that is done to multiple marginalized groups of people, um, I think, I think we are making progress. I see more and more like through my social media feed and things like that. Like I'm hearing more directly from like adult autistics and actual autistics. Um, I hear more from autistics in the BIPOC community. So more, 
more autistics of color, more of their families. And I, I feel like their stories are starting to come more into the mainstream. Whereas 10, 15 years ago, it was just a white little boy who would sit, you know, kind of in the, the media landscape of this is what autism looks like. We're, we're seeing that in fact, autism is across all different spectrums. I think it's amazing. You know what we do with defining us and, mm-hmm. um, and film is our world, right? Mm-hmm. And storytelling is our world. And in the documentary that we're releasing, you know, we are saying a lot to uh, folks in the media community right now, you know, the first one is on race because race is what seems to be at the forefront of this country right now. And it's something that schools are struggling with how to deal with. Um, conversations around that. Um, Communities are are struggling with this, but it really is just the tip of an iceberg around all social justice issues that really look at and label what historically has been called the other. Yes. But but on a day-to-day basis, the work is difficult. And so you have really reached out and gone quite far beyond yourself mm-hmm. and your own family story to really have impact through the Normal with Autism podcast and the Normal with Autism website and the work you're doing. And tell me a little bit about what inspired you to reach out and actually make your story part of the work. So great question when it comes to storytelling and you know, the theme that you're really hitting on there is, is storytelling. And what we know in the last couple of years from um, our wonderful goddess, Brene Brown, right, is that everybody is a storyteller. And we all like kind of a beginning, a middle and end. And we're wired for that. So back in 2018, when I reached out to my um, girlfriend who is on the podcast with me, and her son is also autistic, Our first start was, we want to tell our story because autism shows up so differently in both of our kiddos. They're right around the same age, but to look at my son's autism and hers is, her son's is completely, completely different. You know, there's some similarities there, um, but completely different. So to tell, to start out, we really started out focusing on telling our own, our own story. And I think what that did for my family and what it did for her family was it allowed us to wrap our arms around something that's so big. Uh, the autism diagnosis is, it's a page in the DSM or the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, um, but it's, it's, it's huge, it's huge. It's huge to figure out. It's huge to understand. Um, It impacts so many different people from so many different backgrounds and it looks so different for everybody. So to to be able to tell our stories starting out for our families, I think it helped us wrap our arms around it. And it helped us come to a level of acceptance. And there, there is research that shows that the families who do well, do well because they accept their child fully and completely as an autistic child. And they accept that diagnosis and you know, are able to get their arms around it. And in terms of what it did for 
the community, the little small, kind of the smaller community we have online from the Facebook page and Instagram and the podcast, I think what it did was it started to kind of ripple out to, it became almost a focus on less of our story and more of it's our story, but we want people to hear it and be able to have it resonate with them so that even though they're not the ones speaking in the microphone or they're not the ones writing on the blog that they can look at and go, Oh yeah. Right. Like I feel that way too. Yes. I I get this completely. Um, And that just actually happened recently. I just put out a blog post um, kind of about like holding back the wave of all the work that comes with being a caregiver and somebody responded and they were like, yeah, this, this makes complete sense. I get this totally. This is my story too. And so even though autism looks different in different kiddos and different families, telling our stories allows us to find that connection and kind of come together so that when we look at changes that need to be made in the greater community, like let's say, you know, um, equal access at like public school, right? So that even though your son or your daughter's autism looks different from mine, like we can still come together and we can say, we want them to have equal access in public school. We want them to have that fair and appropriate education in public school because they're part of the larger community. You know, their stories look different from say my neurotypical son that I have, but their stories are are valuable and worthy and part of the larger community. And unfortunately don't often get told or often get overlooked. I just think this is so critical because what is fascinating about it is A, you came to it intuitively and you came to it from an emotional connection with your son and what you needed to do to be able to reach that acceptance, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say to those who are listening, our experience in educational research and personally, your experience personally is if you're a consumer of media, the most important thing you can do is go out and find podcasts like yours, Mm -hmm. podcasts like this one, where you can really start to hear the full story. Right. Of what is happening with someone. And I'm sure you've experienced that. Yeah, I, I think back to um, last year in 2020, um, just as the Black Lives Matter movement had kicked off in the summertime. I mean, at first we were kind of dumbfounded and in shock, I think, like a lot of people with everything that was happening along with the pandemic. And then I started researching and reaching out to Um, families of color with autistic children. And I met some really beautiful folks who I consider kind of like podcast friends or podcast family um, who were so gracious to take the time from their hard work and the projects that they're doing to come on to our podcast and and talk about mainly what it was like to be um, a, a Black family Uh, with the autistic diagnosis for their child and kind of what they experienced in their communities. 
Um, so we talked to Camille from The Color of Autism, which I would encourage everybody to check out. We talked to Maria from Autism in Black. Again, she was amazing. Um, there's a few other folks that, that we follow and that we kind of touch base with and talk to. But I, I mean, I could read in the paper, going back to what you said about statistics, like I could read and I have knowledge that, you know, more children of color, especially if they're disabled, they're suffering the most in schools. They're the most disciplined. And I could read that and I could understand it, but it's here in my head. Whereas if I talk to Camille or I talk to Maria and they tell me their personal stories, you know, about why they, um, like why Camille would teach her son to be the way he is in the community and what she's fearful of. Like I understand that and I get it so much better and it, it connects into my heart and it connects into my soul. And so when I see people fighting for justice, then it's not just a numbers. It's like, I want to fight for justice too, because I want to fight for Camille's son, or I want to fight for Maria's daughter. I think, you know, it's, um, it's a, the other thing that really struck me as I listened to some of your original podcasts and that wanted to have you on the show is that you and Sarah have also taken a different tact by saying we're going to focus on a population that is doesn't have unlimited resources mm -hmm. and what it means to have this kind of diagnosis mm -hmm. with limited resources mm -hmm. and how you're going to actually navigate the world to help your child mm -hmm. with what's available to you yeah um so basically I'm, I'm, as you're asking me this question, I'm like thinking back over the last kind of eight years and how some things have changed and how some things have, have stayed the same. Sarah and I are two really fortunate white privileged women who have access to many resources in our community as well as in you know the medical field um, through which you have to go through to get the mental health field through which you have to go through to get an autism diagnosis. And it occurs to us each time like we struggle with something, whether it be like insurance, trying to pay a bill or um, a professional diagnosis that we don't agree with or a treatment that we might be concerned about or trying to access treatment for our children, that kind of thing. Um, it occurs to us that if we're these, you know, white middle-class privileged women facing these barriers, like what does that mean for someone who's not white? What does that mean for someone who isn't as privileged? What does that mean for someone who doesn't have maybe the money resources or the time resources that we have? Um, so I think every time that she and I speak on a topic, we want to be mindful of, and we hope we're mindful of um, folks who are not sitting where we sit and we want to make room for them at the table. Like we want them to have a seat at the table and have their voice heard. Um, because ultimately when we create those seats and when we have those folks who, who are normally left out of the conversation sitting at the table, we're all, we're all better for it we're all better for it. So we, 
we hope that we're, we hope that we come across that we're very mindful of that. And we, I think we work pretty hard to find the resources in, at least in our local community that are available to almost everybody. And then we talk about like, yeah, it's going to be really hard. And here's the hoops you have to jump through (laughs) to try to get into that resource. Don't give up, you know, give us your questions, give us your thoughts, tell us what you're struggling with so we can address it and try to try to help you through that. You know, it occurs to me when I look at what you do and what we do and how we're, we're coming together um, here today is, you know, if you were able to say to the broader community, mm-hmm. perhaps that doesn't have a person with autism in their world mm-hmm. that they're dealing with on an ongoing basis, you know, what would you encourage them to do? And then I want to talk to you about the other piece of that for those that are dealing with the diagnosis. But let's start with what do you encourage people to do right now who are listening and who just stumbled onto this because we're they're in the Defining Us website mm-hmm. or they are listening to a Defining Us podcast for other reasons, mm-hmm. reasons of race. This is what I think we've all got to broaden out and get beyond our communities, right? That's how this is all going to actually begin to change. We can't just stay in our little subject matter world, right? Yeah. So what would you say to somebody who stumbles into this? I picture very much a um, person who I am friends with who has a couple of kiddos, they're all boys and they're younger. And, uh, you know, they're all kind of neurotypical kiddos. And I, I picture talking to her and what I would say to her and anybody who's listening, who's either not part of like a certain, you know, marginalized community, we need you. We need you badly. I can gather 10 other um, special needs parents uh, or parents or caregivers to disabled folks very easily. Like I can gather them, we can talk, we can have conversations, we can commiserate, we can share stories. I, I I need my friend, I need the people in the community who who aren't caregivers to disabled loved ones to come and join us in this community and can, come and join us in the storytelling so that when they are out in the community and let's say um, a policy comes up in their local community, right? And maybe it impacts something in the school and they then may be able to step back and think, okay, well, I know this, I know this is how this might affect like a typical kiddo, if you will, but how would this policy impact a disabled child? How would this policy impact a disabled child of color? How would this policy impact a child of color? Because ultimately, at least as it is right now, I think it's changing more, but at least as, as, it, is, as, as it is right now, is that the folks who aren't caregiving to disabled loved ones or who aren't experiencing life through the lens of a person of color they're the ones at the table making the decisions. 
and and we need them to have our children in their heads when they're making those decisions. I think that's so important. It's so incredibly important for people to hear because every we all need to help each other. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of people out there that feel like, you know, this is not my issue. This is not where my focus is. Oh, but it is. It is because <laughs> this is this is what happens when my friend is talking to me and I have a couple of them and they're, again, they're children, not disabled, not children of color. You know, they're, they're kind of killing it at life or whatever. I say to them, you know, in 10 years, your kiddo is going to be responsible for taking care of my kiddo because he'll be at like the day program for disabled adults. Their child might be working there. I need their child to know who my kid is before he stepped foot in that adult daycare program. And, you know, Tara, I think the importance of that too is for people to understand that we all have to give others, people that are living different lives than us, having different experiences than us, which is everybody, Mm -hmm. right? We all have different experiences. We all show up here with you know, different things going on and a different path, but we have to give them the dignity to live their own lives. Correct. And so when I hear normal with autism, Mm -hmm. that's what I think about. Mm -hmm. We have to give every individual the dignity to live their own life. Yes. And see that person as a full, complete, capable human being even though they might be a multimodal communicator and talk to you through a speech device, they're a full, complete, capable human being, a worthy human being, even if they, you know, need lots of levels of support throughout their day. With a full range of emotions. Yes. Can you speak to that? Ooh. Um, So like I said, Finn's getting ready to turn 10. Oh my goodness. He is, he gives me all the business every day. Um, I mean, he, I, I'm, I'm very thankful that I went through all of this with um, my 18 year old originally. Cause I can look back and be like, Oh, that's just like your brother. Oh, you're doing this just like your brother. So even though my youngest is a multimodal communicator and he communicates through a speech device mainly. So to hit buttons on a computer that will talk to me, he has this full range of feelings and emotions that although he can't express sometimes through that device, because it's a lot of work, you know, to hit all of the different buttons that I, I recognize it. I recognize that he is sad. I recognize that he's mad. I recognize that he's frustrated. And I'll say that to him. He says it back to me on his device, (laughs) you know? Um, But yeah, he's, you know, I wish everybody could meet him. He's, He's this great kid who has all of these thoughts and feelings and expressions and he wants to get them out and wants to share it with people um which is which kind of really goes against the myth the whole myth of autism like the person's just sitting there you know afraid in a corner not wanting to talk to anybody that's just not true and um yeah he's a full worthy whole complete human being 
with a full range of wants and desires and questions and thoughts and concerns, just like anybody else, just like anybody else. You know, the, and there, there's a word uh, used often, a phrase, a strategy, whatever you want to call it, um, in education called individuation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That really speaks to if I can get to know you, mm-hmm. if I as a teacher can get to know you personally, mm-hmm. if I can get to know you as a friend, um, all these stereotypes and all these, um, these issues that we face of difference really, really start to just break away. Oh, yes. So I'd really like you to just sort of sum that up for us, because I think it's important for people to hear it. Like I said, words create worlds mm-hmm. and to adjust mm-hmm. their mindsets mm-hmm. um, about this not being about an issue, mm-hmm. but about an individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm a visual person and I, when someone asks me about, you know, connecting Finn to his more maybe um, non-neurodivergent peers, right? I think of a playground. So picture a playground with me. And Finn gets so completely excited to go to the playground. He adores going to the playground. And what I've noticed over the last couple of years is that he adores going to playgrounds, but he loves going to playgrounds that are moderately full of children his age, maybe a little younger, maybe a little older. And what he will do is he will sit, if there's an adaptive swing that's built like for the bigger kids, he will sit in that and he will for a long time watch kids play run tag back and forth his um his autism his disability doesn't necessarily allow him to join in that kind of play where he can run back and forth like the other kids but man he loves watching it he loves watching them yell and scream and laugh and fall and be silly and he starts laughing And then at some points he will get up and he will go to them and he usually touches them like on the shoulder or something and he laughs and then runs away so that he's, he's saying to them like, yeah, I'm excited. You're playing. I'm here playing too. His play looks a little different, but he's playing too. There's a show out called Love of the Spectrum and it is about um, people that are on the spectrum who are beginning to date and who are looking to find the relationship that is meaningful in their lives. Mm-hmm. And what was so compelling to me is two folks were on a date and he was looking at the camera. We call it breaking the fourth wall in our business. <laughs> and he was talking about her. Aww. And he <laughs> was saying, I think she's beautiful beautiful inside and out and she's beautiful with me Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she's beautiful and how she sees me and how she treats me Mm -hmm. and then they cut to them on a date Mm -hmm. and he looks at her and says can I just hold your hand oh my gosh (laughs) the innocence (laughs) and the connection 
-hmm. and the purity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of this relationship. And so it was so compelling in terms of, of the storytelling piece, but also I think it gives us an opportunity to hear uh, us. An I think it gives us an opportunity here to have you say the love that you get in return because a lot of people do feel like, you know what? Oh, they don't express anything. They can't give back. Mm -hmm. And I just want you to address that. It's such a myth. I remember eight years ago when we first got his autism diagnosis, they talked about like his lack of connection and his lack of you know, we call it reciprocal connection where like you smile, I smile, you say something, I say something. And I give credit where credit's due to the professionals that work in the field every day. I'm one of them. I'm a mental health professional. They were completely wrong. His love just didn't look like what you would see from a, a non-neurodivergent kid, right? His love was different. It looked different. And then over the years, it's grown, um, you know, in part because we have um, done a little bit of therapy with him, done a little bit of work with him. It's grown into his own style of, um, you know, when I, when I look down at his face and I say, like, you know, I love you, buddy, he leans his forehead against mine, right? Or... Um, I'll be like, hey, did you have a good day at school? And he just gives me like a side smile, right? So he, uh, his favorite thing, by the way, is music. That's his love language. I know people talk about love languages. That's his. And he has that device that he can talk to me through. And his favorite band is Imagine Dragons. And he asks he asks for specific songs from them and then he sings along on his device with those songs so like one of his favorite songs on there is thunder and i think part of the reason he likes it so much is because the voice in the song sounds like his device it sounds like him basically and he sings he requests that song and then he sings with it and the joy that comes from him when i'm like yeah we'll turn on imagine dragons that's great he gets so excited and he's so happy. And in, in that moment, you know, that love that's connecting through music, that's how he connects. That's how he loves. One other question. I want to bring this into an education discussion for a minute. Okay. Is Finn in public school? Where is Finn? So Finn is in um, a place that is a specific school just for autistic or disabled children. Um, so no, he, we can we cannot do public school where we're at here. They don't have what he needs. For anybody who is teaching and dealing with children that are in a range, right? Because the spectrum's a range, right? Yeah. Um, and dealing with families. I'd really like for you for just a moment to talk about what you feel like needs to happen in the education system and then take it down to, you know, what do we need to do individually as educators? Mm. That's a big question. Let me rephrase. <laughs> it is. 
If you could give any kind of specific uh-huh. um, advice or mm-hmm. request mm-hmm. to folks that are in the educational system sure, and dealing with kids that are on the spectrum, yes, what would that be? Big picture to start with and kind of narrowing it down. We need fully funded public schools. For example, uh, Ohio's uh, school funding system has been deemed unconstitutional. It was deemed that in the uh, mid nineties, hasn't been fixed. They're talking, they're talking about it right now. I did that kind of with quotes, um, still, not, still not fixed. There is so much inequity in our public school system here in the state of Ohio. Um, So big picture, we need fully funded public schools. We need more teachers. We need more counselors. We need less children in each classroom because we know children don't, all children don't learn well in big classrooms. We need smaller size classrooms. Um, So that's big picture. On the individual, side of things in terms of like different educators and maybe different therapists or aides who are working in the school directly with the kids. I will advise from what I've observed at Finn's school where he does so well and he loves going every day. The therapists are, the therapists, the teachers are able to take the time to get to know him. And it's through all the little things. It's through what's his favorite song? What's his favorite book? What Disney character might he be into at that moment? It has nothing to do with occupational therapy goals or physical therapy goals or how many words he's reading or how many letters he knows. They are able to get to know him on an individual level. And keep in mind they are only really able to do that because they have fully funded smaller class sizes, um, more teachers, more aides, more resources. And we need that all across our public school system. So it really goes back to this individuation piece. Correct. It really goes back to, do you see that getting people who will take the time to get to know people who will take the time to get to know your family, people who will open their minds and hearts. Do you see that as the one sort of core piece that can do almost more than anything? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it all comes down to when you know my story, it's easier to picture my child in all of those different policy-making decisions all of the different um, visualizations of how we want education to look, right? Um, you know my story, you know his story, you know our family's story. He's not just a name and number on an individual education plan or IEP, right? He's not just a set of goals or objectives. He's a human being. And we want to help you tell your story it's about time for us to wrap up it has been terrific to have you on the podcast and i want to give you an opportunity i mean 
absolutely anybody who's listening, please visit normalwithautism.com. And please, yeah. any other things that are going on for you, your social media, any events, blogs you've got coming up, now's the time to uh, <laughs> Thank let <you>. listeners know. <laughs> Well, certainly you can find us at our website. Uh, come in and check in anytime. Normal with Autism on Facebook, Normal with Autism on Instagram. We we have a heavy um, social media presence on those those two platforms. We're always always posting blogs. Um, Sarah Sell is my co-host, but also an amazing photographer, and she um, has some beautiful pictures up. Uh, just recently.